Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing We Might As Well Be Strangers, the sixth episode of season two, which was written by Terrence Coli, directed by Sanford Booksaver, and originally aired on October 26, 2004. So, Caitlin, fun fact about this episode, I don't even know if I ever told you this. Ooh. This is the first episode of One Tree Hill I have ever seen. Are you serious? I am serious. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. I watched this on October 26, 2004, apparently, because young little teen me had a huge crush on Chad Michael Murray from seeing him in A Cinderella Story, so I wanted to get more Chad Michael Murray contents. Oh my gosh, too funny. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you, though. (laughs) And, you know, unfortunately, there's not much Chad Michael Murray content. I mean, he, you know, he wears some tight t-shirts, which I'm like, okay, cool. That got my rock, that got 14-year-old me's rocks off a little bit, but, you know, it was, it was just okay. I did not stick with the show after this episode, obviously. I did not continue watching it. Not that this episode's bad or anything, but, you know, it's, it's something special. (laughs) I don't know if you agree with me on that. I feel like... Yeah, this episode, there's a lot of little tidbits, though, that are in in this one, I feel like. It's kind of a random episode to be thrown into, though. Like, so much <laughs> is going on. The, all the parents. I had no idea what was happening with any of the characters or anything. Yeah. All I know is that Chad Michael was pretty, and that's all I needed. And, you know what, it was, it, it was cool, so, you know, I, I felt like I was watching it. I was like, okay, like... I was living vicariously through 14-year-old Jeremy. I was trying, so. Oh, that's so cool. I love that little tidbit. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) (laughs) You are so welcome. (laughs) But yes, let's talk about this episode and commemorate this wonderful occasion. As a reminder, this podcast is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. Meteor Shower brings many couples together in Tree Hill. Dan and Zeb watch it together at the beach house. While Dan tries to reconnect with Zeb, Zeb doesn't feel the same way. Desperate to win her back, Dan lies about his test results, so Zeb will continue to stay home with him. Keith asks Jules out on a date, he cooks dinner for her, and they share a kiss under the stars. And he also asks Karen out on a romantic dinner date by the water. And Lucas and Anna open up to each other on the river court. In other news, Brooke and Felix become friends with Beth. Vomit. Oh boy. <laughs> Brooke also struggles with suddenly becoming poor and is sad to sell a lot of her things, especially her childhood dollhouse. In the end, though, Mouth is super sweet and buys it back for her. Nathan finds out that he was accepted into the prestigious High Flyers summer basketball camp, but after some thought, he decides not to go because he wants to support Haley and her music. He lies to Haley and tells her that he didn't get into the camp after all. Lucas convinces Whitey to get his eye surgery and reminds him how important he is to the team. And we have a new character, Chris Keller. Yes. <laughs> While setting up Karen's club trick, Peyton meets the arrogant guy at the record store, and later when he shows up to the music auditions, it turns out to be pretty good. Peyton also hears a clip of Haley's songs and attempts to convince her to play on opening night.
needing a little recess, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. And listening to emo music, I'm Caitlin Ellenich. Ooh. <laughs> what emo music are you listening to? I really never know what is considered emo, but I guess Fall Out Boy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's honestly the first one I thought of, personally. I think that's considered emo. I don't really know the difference between punk and emo, which is what... Um, Tyler Hilton's character, Chris, is saying to Peyton yeah. <laughs> in this episode. Also, we should have done like a deep dive before we started talking into this. Like, what is the difference between punk and emo? But according to Chris, Scholar, emo sucks. So yeah. we should, I, I guess we should listen to him. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know either. <laughs> but I also want to believe Peyton, so who, who knows, but... So today's episode is titled after the Keen song, We Might As Well Be Strangers. What were your thoughts, Jeremy? Well, the first that I think about whenever I hear of Keen, I think about the Winnie the Pooh trailer from the 2011 movie. For what? Do you remember the song <laughs> Somewhere to Begin? I don't think I so. I walked across an empty lands. I knew the pathway <laughs> like the back of my hands. I know. I felt the earth. I know that song. <laughs> but that's from Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> it played toward the trailer in 2011, and like I don't know why, but like I always think of Winnie the Pooh whenever I hear that song. I'm telling you, look up the trailer, Winnie the Pooh 2011, and your mind will be blown. You'll be like, oh my this God. is such a good song. It's so emotional. Anyway. Jeremy, you're always full of random pop culture fun facts, <laughs> and that is one of them. <laughs> you are welcome. And Cracker Jack trivia. <laughs> I am here to provide to the people what they want. So what can I say? <laughs> At least that's what I think they want. Anyway. Okay, but seriously, though. So the song, I feel like it was literally about a breakup when two people, they end up realizing that they're not compatible anymore. So they essentially say, we might as well be strangers. And I felt like that literally applied to both Deb and Dan for obvious reasons, because... The two of them are at odds right now. Uh, it seems like Dan is trying to get back with Deb, and it's not really working out, which is why he emotionally manipulates her. And fuck him for that. We'll get into that as we talk a little bit deeper into the episode. But I also feel like it could be the inverse of that. Like, there are characters who literally are strangers, and they're coming together right now. Like, we have Brooke and Felix, we have Karen and Andy, we have Jules and Keith... And I also think this could apply to a deeper level as well with Lucas, because if you think about it, Lucas doesn't really know himself right now. That's so a good point. The person he used to be is now a stranger to who he is right now. So I feel like there's many different ways. Like, the title, you know, as we go, as we say all the time about this, about the episode titles and whatnot, I, I feel like the title applies more to the episode than the actual song itself Yeah, in that regard. I, I would agree. My first thoughts about it were Deb and Dan immediately because mm -hmm. the song really is about the end of a relationship and you just don't know. Oh, yeah. The two people just don't know each other anymore. And you see that, like, they're trying, Deb and Dan are trying to reconnect, or at least Dan is more so, while they're watching mm -hmm. the meteor shower. And it's just, I don't know, there was a certain vibe to all of those scenes, like an, almost like an, awkwardness like they were getting to know each other again in a way or at least dan mm -hmm. kind of wanted that 
But then, obviously, Deb doesn't reciprocate. Um, but yeah, that, those are my immediate thoughts. But I think, yeah, you're you're dead on with the other characters because we have so many different pairings of strangers that, yeah. And uh, speaking of which, do you want to know a little bit about meteor shower symbolism? Because, you know, I had to do some research into that. <laughs> even think about that <laughs> <laughs> um well i like I, I took this directly from an article um it's from a well and good article from two years ago uh it was entitled what the most spectacular meteor shower of the year means for your zodiac side because apparently there were a ton of meteor showers back in 2019 i i didn't know about this but oh wow anyway a direct quote from the article is from astrologer and healer rachel lang um so uh, they basically said that meteor showers symbolize beauty rising from the ashes. And here's a direct quote. Meteor showers represent the spiritual insights and wisdom gained from looking deep within the shadows of ourselves and our world. They also invite us to create new ideas and beliefs. They're like little bursts of aha moments. Oh, wow. I'm glad you looked that up. That's really cool. Yeah. Which, I feel like that's happening all around in this episode. Everybody's having these little aha moments about themselves, about their relationships. They really are. And that just, like, looking inward, or I don't know how what you just quoted, but something about, like, looking inward, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely relates to all these different relationships that are forming. Especially Lucas right now, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. That's super... Wow, that is powerful. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, this is the first episode of One Tree Hill I've ever seen. I had to, like, really, you know, dive in for this, you know. <laughs> this episode's very significant for me, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this episode also starts off with a Lucas voiceover, which we haven't had for a few episodes. It feels um, like it's been forever. I, it feels like it's been forever, but... There was one in 202, but I feel like there hasn't been a lot recently at all, which I love the Lucas voiceovers. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I feel like it, like we, we talked about this a little bit off mic. Uh, I, I thought they had a bigger presence than they do, but apparently they aren't that present, I guess. I think I think they still I just it's not every episode. For a while there, it was like a lot of episodes in a row in season one. Oh, and then, yeah. And then it like stops for a while Mm -hmm. so but yeah chad michael murray he is a good narrator i will say that he's like yeah so i want him to read audiobooks to me yeah (laughs) seriously (laughs) anyway so what was this quote so this is what lucas says at the very beginning catherine and porter once said there seems to be a kind of order in the universe in the movement of the stars and the turning of the earth and the changing of the seasons But human life is almost pure chaos. Everyone takes his stance, asserts his own rights and feelings, mistaking the motives of others and his own. So, I don't know. I think it's kind of an odd quote to choose for this episode. It's not a quote that I was familiar with at all. I mean, the one part where it's like, but human life is almost pure chaos, I feel like... I feel like that could apply to, like, everybody's lives right now as pure chaos. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. And everyone takes his stance, asserts his own right and feelings, mistaken the motives of... I don't know what that's supposed to represent, mistaken the motives of others, necessarily. But I feel like that's what's happening right now. Like, there's... 
again, there's a bunch of chaos, and I honestly don't know what I'm saying, Caitlin. I'm trying, and I'm reaching. This quote is kind of... <laughs> I'm kind of... You dumbfounded a little bit. I don't really know why they chose this quote out of all the quotes in the world. I don't really understand that last line and how that relates, but yeah, I would agree with you. The human life is almost pure chaos, because there's a lot of turmoil, I feel like, especially in Lucas's life. Like, he was about to move. Well, the, all the drama with Peyton and Brooke, and then he moved, and then he came back, and then he was, like, um, making amends with Dan and getting to know him. And now he's, like, trying to understand himself and be a better person. So I think it relates to Lucas more than anyone right now. I would agree, yeah. But the quote is kind of weird. Maybe it's just because, like, oh, the quote's about the Earth. And, you know, we have meteor showers in this episode. Let's, uh... Let's yeah. use this quote to make ourselves sound very intelligent. I don't know. I think that's why they chose a, that beginning portion there, which, okay. <laughs> All right. Let, All right. Let's talk about the good talk- stuff. Yes. Cool. <laughs> the good <Keller>! stuff. <laughs> Can't get it out. That's the only thing I can say. Chris Keller. Oh my gosh. I think we were like about to fight. We were like, oh my God. Like, who's going to bring this up? Who's going to bring up Chris Keller first? <laughs> Honestly, for reasons we can't talk about right now, I'm almost wondering if we're going to get canceled because of how much we love Chris Keller. <laughs> I know, right? Because <laughs> he's definitely problematic. <laughs> in, okay. in certain aspects, at least. Yes. Okay. But... He's supposed to be. Really... He's supposed to be, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unlike and Felix. I defend him. Felix, yes. I don't think, is meant to be a problem. Uh-huh. At least not always. But, like, Chris, he's supposed to be arrogant. Like, Yeah. He's supposed to be a jackass. He's written like a jackass. And that's why I... I mean, I don't have space for him as a real-life person. Absolutely not. As a character, I have a hell of a lot of space for him. Yeah, for sure. And, like, Tyler Hilton does a phenomenal job with his character. (laughs) By the way, you know he was only 20 years old at the time of filming this? Oh, my gosh. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So he was younger than, he was supposed to be older than them. <laughs> but he was, yes, actually, he was actually younger, younger than, than them. Yeah. Oh my God. Kind of funny to think about. That is funny. Yeah, because his birthday was in, I don't remember the exact date, but it's November 1983. And this aired in October 19, uh, uh, not 19, October 2004. Wow. That's interesting. Because he's <laughs> supposed to be like at least several years older. Because he's, well, we're not, we won't get into that. I don't think it's ever specifically specified about his age or anything like that, but I feel like you get the vibe that he's older and has a little bit more experience. You know, he's been working at the record shop all night, for one thing. Yeah, the experience part and the fact that, you know, he's, he's a good musician. You can tell that right away. Like, he knows what he's doing. Which, by the way, let's uh, talk about his uh, first scene where uh, Peyton meets him. And Peyton's trying to hand up a flyer for the um, all-ages club night auditions. And then he says, I'll tell you what, you can post a flyer if you take your shirt off. And I was disgusted by that quote at first, but then I realized, I was like, oh, it's because he doesn't like the shirt. It's not because she wants to see her top. (laughs) I know, at first it was like, what? I don't remember this. And then, yeah. So it's kind of funny. (laughs) The shirt says, find an email. Which is an adorable play on words. And then Lucas goes into the... Lucas. Uh, Chris goes into this whole thing where he's like, uh, Evo is crap. And then, you know, that's the whole debate. But 
We have a music chat in our Discord server for patrons. If anybody wants to talk about the difference between punk and emo, please. <laughs> I would love to hear more about that as well. <laughs> oh, for sure, because I really do not know how to define either, like, the difference between those. Also, uh, speaking of shirts, uh, I see that Chris is wearing a shirt that says, uh, Vote or Die, which was a t-shirt for Citizen Change, a political service group founded in 2004 by P. Diddy and backed by Mary J. Blige, Mariah Carey, and 50 Cent. Oh, wow. Look at you and your little tidbits tonight. It was to get, like, uh, younger people to vote, trying to make, like, vote voting sexy at the time. So I'm like, the fact that you have Chris's wear on that shirt, I'm like, yo, Chris is woke? <laughs> right? I'm kind of here for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Which I didn't expect that coming. I just had to just, like, look into that. I'm like, vote or die? Is that a real thing? Like, yes, it was, apparently. You always pay attention to those little details and it pays <laughs> off because that that is lovely i love that <laughs> <laughs> thank you oh my god it was so good just generally that that scene with peyton and chris was just like a fun scene like the banter that they had mm-hmm. i know he's being a jerk but at the same time it was just kind of a fun scene to watch exactly and like i said we're su- we're not supposed to like him yeah. And that is why we are making room for Chris right now. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, I remember like when I watched this uh, back in the day, and I still feel this now, actually. it's There seems to be a little bit of uh, tension between Chris and Peyton. I know. I found that interesting, too. I, I was kind of thinking that as well. In the record store, at least. And then, yeah. then when he goes to play, she doesn't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And also, like, that's, like, such a common trope on TV shows, movies, whatever. Like, where two people hate each other, then they get together. So, like, yeah, especially back in 2004, we definitely thought, like, you know what? These two are going to get together. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen with this brand new character in the mix. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but he ends up performing at the auditions, and he ends up blowing both uh, Peyton and Haley away. I love that song. I know we'll talk about the music later, but I'm just going to say that now. I love that song. It's one of my favorite of Tyler Hilton's. It's so good. It was such a nice surprise. Like, you know, Peyton thinks that he's just coming in to, like, drop off the CDs. And then he just gets up on the stage and just absolutely fucking owns it. We're like, okay, all right. Yeah. It was similar to how when we saw Tyler Hilton on stage. We were literally, like, three feet away. (laughs) No exaggeration there. We really were. It was a very, very intimate show. Yeah, it was a very intimate show. So, like, you Mm -hmm. basically stood next to the stage. Yeah, that was absolutely fucking wild. I know we we talked about that in the spoiler segment, but in case people, like, you know, listen along to the spoiler-free segments, yes, we will talk about that now. That show was amazing. It was him and Kate Vogel. They played together in Philly. Kate Vogel. I don't know who Kate Vogel is. I don't know either. Yeah, but, uh... (laughs) That was a great show. 2019. That was probably like one of the last things I did before the pandemic. Yeah, one of the last big things, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It was just, I had never been to a show. I know you had been to some like that before, mm-hmm. but I'd never been to one that intimate. And the fact that it was Tyler Hilton and it was just like, we're standing right there and he was fantastic. Yep. I the, mean, he sounded so, so good. Because, yeah, yeah, like prior to that, you've only been to like big stadium shows. Like, Taylor, like you and I saw Taylor Swift together yep. and whatnot. Like, those are great shows, don't get me wrong. But, like, when you're actually up there in the artist's face 
and they're sitting directly to you. Like, it's compl- it's incomparable. And there, we can talk about this as, even as we go further into this, but some <laughs> of the songs that he sang. Oh, my God. Country <laughs> <laughs> Hill fans. You would have died because I almost did. <laughs> so, pr- oh, so good. So pretty to, like, just, just stand. Yep. Um, but do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, Peyton opening Trick? Yeah. She's, like, basically running the show right now. <laughs> like, this is Karen's club. <laughs> right? Peyton is the only one doing anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> good job. That's all I got to say. <laughs> That's so cool as, like, a teenager to to organize a talent night like this. Like, mm-hmm. that's so cool that she's able yeah. to do that. And I want to know, did she come up with the name for Trick because the rest of the sign didn't work? Or that's it? Okay. And I think that's what we're <laughs> supposed to believe. I think so. What did the sign actually say? Like, I couldn't even properly read it. It said, like, electrical something. Yeah. But you couldn't even make out the whole sign. Yeah, I, I don't know what the whole thing, other than electric, but I love that name. I yeah, love Trick the name is a good Trick. <laughs> so it ends up being like a very uh, good brand and opportunity for them. But yeah, the side lights up and she's like, welcome to Trick. And then we see Rick enter the picture, the guy who gave Peyton cocaine. And he's like, guess we'll be partying together and working together. So why is he around? Like, I guess he connected with Karen. That's what I would imagine, yeah. Karen just isn't aware of what he's involved in, I guess. Yeah, that's probably what happened. It was, like, probably, like, an off-screen type of deal. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yeah. Like, I don't like the flirty nature that he sort of has with her. Like, this is a teenager. This is kind of disgusting. Again, we're not supposed to like him, though. So, I'm not saying I have space for him, but... I have space for the write-in behind his character, you know? Yeah, he comes in there and he just kind of, like, assert, asserts himself in a weird way. Like, yeah, in, in a way almost kind of flirty. Yeah, but he's not very interesting, in my opinion. Like, th- th- there was something about Chris that, like, I was instantly drawn to him. Like, I'm like, this is an interesting, fascinating character. Rick, I don't feel intrigued by him. I just think he's a creep. Yeah, he just seems... I think he's... You're supposed to see him as just a creep. I mean, that's really yeah. all he is. And you know yeah. if Karen... If Karen knew what he was involved in, she's, she's not gonna like that at all. Mm-hmm, for sure. Like, does he know that this is a teenager and, like, you're trying to offer a teenager drugs? I mean, it's one yeah. thing just, like, offering anyone randomly that. Like, that's not cool, but, like, this is a teenager. It's, like, a whole new level of creep. Yeah, for sure. Just makes you think about it in a completely different light. I feel like back then when we were teenagers, it was like, yeah, like, you know, peer pressure, that's bad. <laughs> but, like, this isn't peer pressure. This is much bigger. Yeah, for sure. This is a grown man preying on a young teenage girl. Yeah, trying to take advantage of her, like, not... Just trying to take advantage of her being, I guess, young and just, like, unaware of how, you know, the music industry works and everything. Right. I take back what I said. I don't think I have much space for, for Rick. No space? No, no <laughs> space. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Speaking of characters I don't have space for, um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Lucas and Anna getting together. So first off, this whole storyline gets kicked off with Felix talking to Anna, being like, yo, skirt's a little short, isn't it? I, 
Yeah. For listeners at home right now or in your car, I am just, like, putting my uh, fingers to my forehead and I am just staring at Caitlin, like, you know, just closing my eyes. It's just, like, he just keeps being portrayed <laughs> as a jerk, like, over to everyone, over and over again. Mm-hmm. And even to his sister, like, come on, like, if you, there's a nicer way to approach that conversation than the way he did, if you're going to even yeah. say anything at all. Like, just, ugh, he's terrible. I mean, don't police what your sister is wearing, period, <laughs> for one no. thing. No. Like, you're concerned about her. I get it. But, like, there's other reasons to be concerned about her for. Like, which, um, I, I do like how he, uh, he comes to her and says, like, hey, uh, you know, Lucas cheated on Brooke with Peyton. And, you know, he's going to do the same to you. And I, you know what? I kind of like that because that actually shows a valid place of concern. But then the, all the other stuff where he's, like, policing, like, what she wears and shit, it just doesn't work for me, and I do not have any sort of sympathy for that, or any, I don't have anything for that. No space. No space at all. No, I, I didn't understand that either. And what I found was interesting is, I don't know if you watched the deleted scenes for this episode. Yes, I was about to bring that up, so. But yeah. there were two with Felix and Anna, and in both of them, Felix comes to Anna and apologizes for the comments he made about her clothing. Mm-hmm. What else does he apologize for? I don't know. <laughs> Just being an overall jerk, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he does, yeah, he also says that, like, you know, if Lucas uh, breaks your heart, he and I are going to dance, you know, which means fighting, not literal dancing. (laughs) And in a way, like, these scenes, these extra scenes that we don't get in the actual episode, they humanize him a little bit more. A little bit, yeah. I feel like a lot is lost with that particular scene being taken out. Like, the the fact that he apologized to her, that's a good scene to say, but that's completely taken out. It is. I guess because they just included, they figured the whole Lucas um, warning or whatever was would suffice in that way. But I feel like, I don't know, these other scenes would have maybe developed the story a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I like how Felix is worried for Anna because I... I understand where he's coming from because it is a little concerning Mm -hmm. to hear about Lucas cheating on Peyton with Brooke. Like that is kind of a concerning thing to hear. And then your sister's then involved with this guy. So I understand his concern. He's just, he never approaches things nicely or delicately. But the whole thing where he's like police and what she wears and everything like that, that happened before he knew about her and Lucas. And like, there's not even any, there's there's nothing for him to hide behind there. That's just blatant slut shaming right there. Yeah, he's just he's being overly protective for no reason. Like mind his own business, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> worry about what you're wearing to school. Don't worry about your sister. <laughs> uh huh. For sure. <laughs> but otherwise, I did like a lot of the scenes between Lucas and Anna. Um. He, he tells Anna he doesn't want to sneak around and that she has to talk to Felix, which, you know, <laughs> she does in the deleted scenes, you could say. Which, oh, by the way, the, the end, you know, not to abruptly change the subject, but the ended scene where Lucas opens the envelope that says thank you. It's like, what is that thank you for without the deleted scene? The deleted scene seems to be, uh, actually, I still don't know what that thank you note is supposed to be. That's from Whitey. That's from Whitey. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. I did not see that at all. Yeah, that's the two. The scenes were paired together, so I assume it's from Whitey. 
That makes so much sense. Okay, we'll talk about that later then. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that blew my mind. All right. I, I honestly thought that was a note from Anna, which I don't, I'm like, I don't get that. Why, why would she do that? But yeah, you're absolutely right. Because it's a, it cuts from yeah. him to, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> So I want to go off on a tangent. But anyway, Lucas and Anna, I really did like the scenes of the two of them together. How he's like, oh, I don't want to sneak around. You got to talk to Felix. And then he tells her later that, um, you know, I got to stop trying to be a good guy and just be a good guy. And I just got to say, I have a lot of space for Lucas in this episode. What? I know. <laughs> you have space for Lucas finally? I make space for Lucas sometimes. What are you talking about? I'm shocked to hear you say that. I don't always hate him. Aw, that's adorable <laughs> that you finally like him. I never disliked him. You just well, got a one in your season one recap. <laughs> one rating, right? Wasn't he at the bottom of it? Or no, he was... He, I'm pretty sure he was. I don't remember He was number five, story, whatever but... the bottom number was. But Yeah, that was... That's probably true, but, you know, like, I, I just gotta, I, I, I like when people, like, are making active efforts to change. Yeah, I agree. And he's doing it for himself. Like, he's noticed that, like, you know what, this this relationship with Anna, it could be kind of toxic for me. So, you know, with the whole sneaking around and everything like that. He's like, I did that before. I don't want to do that again. Let's move on. I know. I really like that scene in the car, too, when he says that. You know, he has to just start stop talking about being a better person and actually be that better person. And I mm-hmm, think that says sure. a lot about his character growth from season one till now. He's making those realizations about the past and he's trying to do different, be different in the future and the present. So, yeah, the Anna situation can easily become similar to what happened in season one. Not with the cheating, but just like being secretive. And he's just basically decided, like, I don't have time for that anymore. And you know what? That's very healthy. Establish those healthy boundaries, but Lucas. That is beautiful, and I'm here for it. Oh, this is sweet. This is really All right. sweet. <laughs> okay, can we talk about not sweet things now? And, uh... <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Move on to not sweet things with uh, Felix and Brooke. Oh, what a transition. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what do you get when two flame and cellar bodies come together? <laughs> that was actually really a funny little connection right there with the science teacher talking about that. <laughs> yeah, it talk, was. Talk about meteor showers, then it cuts the two of them having sex. They become FWB, despite the fact that Brooke says IYFD in your dreams, mm-hmm. which that's a cool way to get past the censors right there. Well, we were just talking about, like, tension between two characters and that trope that repeats itself over and over again. Well, this Uh is another one. (laughs) Yep. Like, oh my gosh. All they do is yell at each other. And I feel like it should be noted, too, that Brooke was not interested in even having sex with Felix until she opened up her science book and found a picture of her and Lucas together. Yeah. And that's when she realized, it's like, you know what? I need a break from life right now. Um, I just need to, I just need to fuck. Basically. And that's not, I mean, I get that. In a way, it's not healthy. It's like she's just repressing all of this Lucas stuff. But yep. um, we'll see how this ends up. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just want to point this out right now. Um, 
So, Caitlin and I, we video chat on our iPads while recording these episodes, and my battery life is now at 69%, (laughs) and I am just saying it is beautifully appropriate, (laughs) and I am very satisfied with that. I'm sorry that mine's at 90%. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. There's a nine in there. That's okay. It's like... I don't know what the nine and a zero could represent, but it's cool. <laughs> oh my god! But, oh, speaking of Brooke, sorry, just to go off on yes. a quick tangent. God, um, please. We're getting some good image in this episode, particularly, but also this, you know, several episodes in this season. But I mean, the dollhouse and Brooke's house, like, uh-huh. I can't not talk about it because I've been there twice to outside of Brooke's oh, house, yeah. and it's just like. It's honestly one of the best locations. Is this the first time we've actually seen Brooke's actual house? I feel like we've seen it in this season so far. Because I know in season one, remember, I mentioned this, in season one, like, we go to Brooke's house, but she does not have the red door, so therefore that is not Brooke's house, or not the Brooke's house that we know and love today. No, in season one, we never see it. So that's why yeah. I always waited till season two to, to bring it up. And uh-huh. I feel like, well, we might have seen it this season. I'm not sure. Someone can correct us, but. Yeah, <laughs> please do. This episode in particular, I feel like we see it like a great view of it. The and then whole thing. The yeah. whole thing. And with the red door. And then we see the dollhouse, which is a replica of it. And oh, my God. It's honestly one of the best locations, I think. Because it just, it's like amazing. It's such a pretty house and it just, oh my God, it looks exactly like it did in One Tree Hill. It's absolutely iconic. It really is. Like, mm. we got to go and you have to see it. You're going to really freak out. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the girl at the red door. <laughs> yeah. I hope it's still, I hope the door is still red. I'll be really disappointed if like whoever owns the house like painted it over. <laughs> when... My best friend Jenna and I went at least the second time. So this would have been 2015. The owners of the house, like, they're, like, okay with it. They like the fact that it was part of Winter Hill because I think they were coming outside and saying hi (laughs) to some of the fans because there were several different fans there because it was a convention weekend. So whenever there's a convention, there's going to be more activity. From my recollection... They were, like, cool about it. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know if they're still there, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome, though. Like, I mean, come on, if you're going to live in a filming location, I feel like you got to be open-minded to that sort of thing. You really do. I'm sure the house is much cheaper for that reason, too. If you're like, hey, you're going to get a lot of tourists coming here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true. You probably get a good deal, and you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to embrace it. You know what, I like people. Maybe they're (laughs) One Tree Hill fans as well. Maybe they are. I would love to think about that. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about that uh, dollhouse, though. We see Mouth buying a picture frame, but it turns out to just be a photo of Brooke that Brooke insists on him taking. She doesn't know that her picture is still inside. I know. I think from their their date, their boy toy auction date or whatever you want to call it, Yeah, he still has some feelings for her. But it was like kind of... The, the scene was filmed in such a weird way where it was like silent as he was like slipping the picture frame into his yeah, it's almost kind of creepy like, yeah like <laughs> i don't think that's what they were aiming for but looking at it i'm like it looks like mouth is a stalker i don't think that's what they were trying for though 
Mouth is never a stalker. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's not spoiling anything by saying that. Like, Mouth is not that much of a creep. (laughs) There may be other stalkers later. (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also, during that that scene, uh, Brooke unfortunately has to sell her dollhouse to to a family. And the, the the family takes the dollhouse away, and then a doll falls out, and that makes Brooke really really upset. And she picks it up, and that's what spurs her to say to Felix, "My room, five minutes." She just like she just wants to have sex, just like get her mind off of the other shit that's going on in her life. And one thing, and I'm gonna keep talking, I'm gonna continue to talk shit about Felix right now. The way Felix like looks at Brooke, he says, "Y'all right?" It just it didn't seem like he actually cared. He seemed to think like, oh, you're very vulnerable right now. You want to have some sex and get your mind off of things? It didn't seem like he cared. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't pick up on that. But now that you say it. It would have been like much cooler if Felix was like actually showed a little bit of concern saying like, hey, you all right? Is everything okay? Like it's tone. Tone really matters. Instead, he has this little smirk on his face. He's like, you all right? Mm hmm. Like, he's going to take advantage of the fact that she's feeling vulnerable, you know? And, like, Brooke's basically using sex as, like, a coping me- mechanism right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, if, if that's what you need right now, yeah. you know, you you do you, but Felix could be written. Like, and I don't even know, like, was he was uh, Michael Copon directed badly? Uh, was this his choice to take the scene in that direction? I don't know. But all around, it's just a bad decision to put Felix in this light. Yeah, he always seems to have a smirk on his face. Like, he just always does, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing genuine about him. That's the impression that I have. Yep, which is why we hate him. Although, funnily enough, though, let me uh, defend him for a second. <laughs> oh, you know how- oh my gosh! <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not saying I have space for him, but, uh, you know, in the last episode, I said that, like, it really shouldn't be called friends with benefits. It should be called sex with benefits because, you know, friendship is the greatest benefit. You and Jenna were like, oh, my God, so cute. (laughs) (laughs) It is. But anyway, um, I feel like Brooke is viewing the relationship from the perspective that society views friends with benefits. Whereas Felix is like, hey, did I mention that it's friends with benefits? So he and I have actually a very similar philosophy on <laughs> as far as that's concerned. What do you mean? He t- because uh, because he and Brooke are after they have sex um, in Brooke's bed. Uh, Brooke says, "Like, what did, what did I say? We're not talking. Like, the, you know, the, there's nothing. This is purely physical." And then Felix is like, "Did I mention that it is friends?" Quote unquote. Okay, I get what you mean. Okay, yeah, you do have a similar yeah. view then. Okay. Yeah, so Felix is, like, really trying to defend the aspect, like, you know what, we can be friends, mm-hmm. you know, emphasizing the benefits as far as, like, the sexual aspect is concerned. Yeah, because, like, why call it friends with benefits if you, like, basically hate the person? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You might as well just, I don't know what else to call it, but... That's why I feel like most, like, most people who use the term friends with benefits, they don't actually care about being friends with the person. That's why I always I always feel weird about the term friends about offense. Like just call it a fuck body. If it's somebody you just want to fuck around with, call them a fuck body. Yeah. I've had a few of those in the past 
where it's like, you know, it, it's mutual. We don't really care about each other. We just fool around. And you know what? That's okay. It's a mutual thing. But using the term friends and benefits, I feel like you really have to be friends with the person to say mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's a more accurate term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just want to have sex and that's it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, gosh. But Mouth buys back the dollhouse. Yay. That was very sweet of him. It was. And that's where the that's where Brooke's storyline ends. And yeah, that was cute. It was. You know who else is cute? Who else is cute, Caitlin? Nathan and Haley. Aww. <laughs> Nathan's really sweet in this episode. And <laughs> he cares so much about Haley's music. He does. He's so different than se- the beginning of season one. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a really caring guy. And I think this episode highlights that. Right. Exactly. That's all I have to say. It is good. Because he gets the letter that he uh, got into High Flyers. I like when Whitey gives him the letter and Nathan's like, what's this for? And then Whitey's like, what do I look like? The Postmaster General? I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I know. I love uh, <laughs> Whitey's grumpy <laughs> comments. I just love it. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> you go, Whitey. <laughs> um, I do, I, I do want to say this, though. Um Nathan saying like uh, you know he doesn't want to go to high, doesn't want to go to high flyers because they can't live off of Haley's uh, cafe paycheck. That is a fair assessment. That he's like, plus I don't want to be apart from her for that long. And I'm like, it's it's only three months, dude. I know, right? I feel like- but they're also teenagers, and this is young love, and three months feels like three years. So <laughs> teen shows always put so much emphasis on that. Like, oh my god, three months apart, what will we ever do? And I'm like, it'll be okay. Or, like, the summer like, apart, yeah. Yeah, like, it's gonna be fine. You will be fine. <laughs> I don't know how they're living off of Haley's Cafe paycheck to begin with. I mean, I guess Nathan is doing the the car stuff still, but... Yeah, he is. I, the financial aspect of this whole storyline is... <laughs> I will never understand, because it doesn't make sense. Because they could only be working part-time. There's no way they could... Either of them could be working full time and doing all everything else. So for sure, <laughs> unless they're getting like food stamps and a bunch of other stuff know, as well, like that, that could be possible. Which that's, true. that's not that's never seen on camera no, or anything like that. It's not. Although I gotta say, like you know, uh, Haley's uh, Haley's pitch where she says like, you know what, like um, I can uh, move in with uh, Lucas and Karen for a little while, and um, I'll get some pick up some extra shifts at the cafe. Like that was responsible. Yeah. And I really like that. Like, there was definitely, like, a compromise thing going on between the two of them. So, like, nobody was, like, throwing away their dreams for the other or anything like that. I know. Although Nathan does lie to Haley. Yeah. Saying that he didn't get in. I didn't like that aspect of the story. Yeah. Because, also, why does he not have to go because of Haley's music? I don't really get that either. It feels, like it shows that he's caring, great. Like we, like we said, it does. but but it feels a little bit forced to me. Like they're trying to force this music thing into the story now because yeah. Now we see that Haley's going to probably perform for opening night. But why is Nathan not going to the camp or Nathan? Yeah, not going to the camp contingent with Haley's music career. You know, like, wh- why, what am I trying to say? I get what you're saying. <laughs> like, why are those two things, like, you can't have one in order to get the other? 
Yeah, it's like, what does she, what does Nathan want Haley to do? Just sit down and write music exclusively and just sit down and do it? Like, like a music career I don't think is that organic where you could just Structure, make it happen yeah. like that. Yeah. The two things don't make sense. Yeah, especially in North Carolina. Maybe if they lived in Los Angeles, I'd be like, okay, like maybe you could make something of this yeah, in North true. Carolina. I know. So the logistics of that aren't too clear. <laughs> like why? Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's they're just kind of forcing the story line into the show a little bit. Um, and then adding a conflict to the whole story. <laughs> because now mm-hmm. Nathan has lied and... Obviously, whenever someone lies, somehow that comes out eventually. Yep. Will she ever find out? I don't know. So, uh, (laughs) do you want to talk about another uh, relationship with problems? Oh, God. Deb and Dan. Deb and Dan. Which, this whole storyline gets kicked off. And I feel... (laughs) (laughs) The scene is so stupid. <laughs> when he's exercising at the at the doctor's, and the doctor is like, "What I was going to talk about?" <laughs> the physical therapist is like, "Yo, I saw you against Williamsburg in '87," and I'm like, "Do people really remember high school basketball <laughs> games this much?" <laughs> My exact thoughts, Jeremy. My exact thoughts makes no sense. <laughs> And I know you and I are not in this world, and, like, we don't care enough about sports, but come on. High school? College? I Yes, college basketball is a big thing, especially in North Carolina. Yeah. But, like, do you remember your high Do you remember a high school basketball game that you went to in 2007? No. <laughs> the specifics of it? No. I know I went to some basketball games, but that's it. But do you remember, like, a specific player? Would you, would you be like, hey, are you... A- Hey, you're John Smith. I saw you against Williamsburg in 2007. <laughs> no. I'm like, is this really that impactful for you? I'm I'm at a loss for words. I it doesn't make any sense. It's really <laughs> <laughs> We've had so many conversations about this and honestly honestly if any of you like you know have like moments like this where you're like oh you know what high school basketball is really big where i came from please tell us about it and we will have a little bit of space for it but for us it just seems very unusual right now i mean i know north carolina is big on basketball but um at least i think it is Do you only do you think that because of One Tree Hill or No, I, I'm pretty sure it's a big thing in North Carolina. I, okay. I, I really do. College, not not high school. I have no <laughs> idea about high school, but I know college basketball at least. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. But okay. <laughs> Woo, that's hilarious. Us talking about sports is just like <laughs> <laughs> I'm so done with it. Anyway, so Dan and Deb uh, watch the meteor shower together, and he makes a reference to Andromeda and how uh, he's protecting his wife. Right there, you see the figure of a woman? She's chained at the wrist, just like in the story. And I'm like, are you trying to seduce Deb with this line? Because this is actually very uh, symbolic, the fact that Deb is chained at the wrist. That is what's happening uh-huh. right now. 
Like, does he realize what he's saying? Come on. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like that's also a direct way to tell us, the audience, to be like, hey, look, Deb is kind of trapped in this situation. Which we end up to find it out at the end of the episode. When Dan uh, gets a call from the doctor, the doctor tells him that he's doing better, and then he lies to Deb. It's like, I knew that was gonna happen before it happened in that moment, you know what I mean? Like, I knew, like, he was getting that call, and he, like, right before that, she was saying how she wants to basically continue on with the divorce, and she wants to move out. Yep. And I don't blame her. I mean, she's been really gracious in helping Dan recover all this time, especially after he threatened her, you know, Mm -hmm. when he's almost dying on the ground at the end of season one. But she still, you know, comes in and and helps him out and stays. But, I, yeah, yeah, she needs to get out of this marriage. And, and I don't blame her for wanting to stay because, you know, when you get into these abusive cycles of relationships, it's it's hard to break it. I get that. But I, I, I almost want to, like, you know, I almost want to, like, give Dab a hug and be like, hey, what's stopping you from just leaving? And be like, you know what? Dan has money. He can afford, like, you know, somebody to come in and help him. You do not need to help him. Yep. You do not need to do this. But also, I understand she feels very guilty about the the fact that she decided not to call the ambulance for a few seconds. So she's she's feeling guilt. I get that. She is. And then also, you know, sleeping with Keith. That's another aspect of it, mm-hmm. too. So she's voicing that she wants to leave. Yep. So she's made up her mind. Now Dan is being manipulative and trapping her, continuing to trap her in this marriage. Because all that guilt is going to make her want to stay and help him. Because she thinks that he, you know, still needs it and is not healthy enough. Exactly. We should also note that this is not uh, Dan's only time lying. He was also lying about getting in touch with the High Flyers people who... We're trying to get Nathan into the camp. So, Dan is pulling some strings, it seems. What's what's happening here? I know. That that little bit at the end of the episode was like, oh boy. And now he knows that Nathan rejected the offer. And ugh, what is like what's that gonna cause now? <laughs> He's yeah. gonna pressure Nathan, I'm sure. We shall say. On a lighter note, do you wanna move on to Karen and Andy? <laughs> yes, we can do that. Even though the lighter note is about a student-teacher relationship and Karen being hesitant about making it happen. And then Andy says, you know, I wouldn't do it if it was going to compromise your studies or my job. And I'm like, this is going to compromise her study. I don't think it's going to compromise her study so much. It will compromise his job. I know, like, what world are they living in with this storyline? <laughs> like, what are the writers thinking? Because... I mean, I don't think the storyline was cool in 2004, let alone now. Oh, you you really had that awareness back in 2004? I definitely I did not. not but <laughs> I can tell you that much. I think, because we were teen, we were young, we were watching this. I don't think we were really... Thinking about the power dynamics that play here? No, we weren't. But I, I don't think people would have thought this was cool back then. Do you? Maybe. I mean... Maybe people who were older, like if there were like 30-year-olds like us who were watching it, maybe they were a little bit more socially aware. Me as a teen, I was like, they're cute together. I like it. I know. <laughs> so. It's a tricky one. It's a real tricky one. 
And it's written in a way that ignores the unhealthy power dynamics there. Why couldn't he, and I've said this before, why could he have been just a student? Yeah. And then that would, there wouldn't have to be any issue. Exactly. I want to delve into this as we go deeper into the season. Um, But real quick, Karen mentions that the age difference, like he's a lot younger than her. And that's almost seen more of a problem in the fact that it's a student-teacher relationship, which doesn't make any sense to me because they don't look that different in age. So I, and I'm going to rant about this a little bit later, but because I know they talk about it more. Um, They are different in age, though, aren't they? Not that much. Not that much at all. I'm curious. I'm curious now. Keep talking. I'm going to look this up while you... (laughs) <laughs> while you talk about I've looked this. it up and I know it's not that much. I don't, they don't look that different in age. So I don't understand like how he's supposed to look this much younger when in reality he doesn't. Yeah. Well, she's six years older than him. That would really matter when you're in your thirties. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're a 26 year old and a 20 year old. It's, this is like a 36 year old and a 30 year old. Which Andy's age is never really specified, but... That's what I mean. Like, that would really... That's not that big of an age difference. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, it is weird because the woman is older than the man. Nobody ever heard of that before. Yeah, and... Okay, I will reveal what I was going to (laughs) say. Jules and Keith, on the other hand... That's... Yes! When it's the reverse, and it actually is a significant age difference, like 15 years or something. If you look up the the actors, I want to get that right. Um, yeah. Let me look it up real fast. I was going to say, I can know it's how. Craig Sheffer was born in 1960, and Maria Menounos, Jules, was born in 1978. There's an 18-year age difference. 18 years. <laughs> and that's never addressed in the... That's, that age difference is never addressed, and they look different in age. They look, they are, um, a six-year age difference because the woman is older. Oh, my God. That makes me so angry. That's a great point. I never thought about that, honestly. I couldn't wait to re- talk about that. I couldn't wait. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I, I had to say it. Yeah. No, you absolutely should fucking talk about it because that's the patriarchy at work right now. Why can't a woman date a younger guy? And it's not even that younger, you know? Yeah. They talk about the age thing a little bit more um, as the season progresses, but I was going to say something a little bit later, but ugh, it annoyed me so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, I, I feel like we're done talking about Karen and Andy personally, so we can move on to Keith and Jules. Um, oh, one little tidbit, though, about Karen and Andy and where they had their dinner dinner date or whatever. Just one little on. cool fun fact. Um. Yes. I was looking up where this was located. I didn't go there. But it's Arley okay. Gardens in Wilmington. And that oh. was also used as a Dawson's Creek location, too. Oh. So that's just my quick little tidbit. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's, I like that. It's a really scenic location. I was like, this seems so familiar. I need to look this up. So I did. For sure. And it's Andy's backyard because he's fucking rich. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love to say it. But it's a place that you can go and actually walk around. Um, oh, that's it's, cool. It's like a whole garden area. So maybe next time I go to Wilmington. Mm. Yes. I still need to watch Dawson's Creek. you never seen Dawson's Creek? I watched season one. 
And then for whatever reason, I never went back to it after that. But I like season one. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I like Dawson's Creek. It's not my favorite teen genre ever, but I've, I have the DVDs. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I've seen it a few times. I'll check it out. I definitely want to see uh, Chad in the show, too. Yes. And then there's one episode with Hillary Burton and Chad. <laughs> I knew about that one, yeah. <laughs> which they talked about that in Drama Queens, which. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a separate space. Oh, definitely. Um, so we're going to move on to Keith and Jules. <laughs> yes, Keith and Jules. Um, yeah, to, to go back a little bit to the, about the age difference between them and whatnot, uh, Maria Menounos is closer in age to the actors who play the teens. Yeah, she was young. This was a real young you Maria Menounos. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out, how their age difference is never mentioned. As I was re-watching, because I did a whole rewatch, and then now I go back and watch each episode as we go along. Yeah. But I I was, like, fuming as I was watching it. I'm like, they are not <laughs> no. going to ever address this? Because they don't. They never... Spoiler alert, they never address the age difference between Keith and Jules. Yeah, it's double standard, for sure. Because it doesn't matter, because it's the male that, you know, is the one who's older. And, and it's cool because the, the woman's younger. So there's no need to address it because that's more, like, acceptable. But if you're a woman, you're like a cougar or whatever they call it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Karen is totally a cougar with the six-year age gap. <laughs> yeah, they never... That's definitely what I was thinking the entire time. They never call her a cougar, but, like, that's what, you know, the term is. Oh, that is so weird, though. <laughs> And like you said, they never print out the fact that it's a teacher-student relationship. Okay. Oh, there's so much. Mind blown. Mind blown. I like this. I'm glad you pointed that out. Mm-hmm. Thank you for... Thank you so much for that. No problem. I don't think I have anything more to say about Karen and Andy. Uh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah well, we're, we're not talking about Karen. And... <laughs> we're on the yeah. Keith and Jules. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I don't think I have anything else to say. <laughs> I'm like, we, we moved on, Caitlin. We're good. Uh, Keith and Jules. Do you have anything to say about Keith and Jules? I thought their little date was cute, and they were in the, the car, and they shared that mm-hmm. kiss. Yeah. They're an interesting couple. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about them yet, but I, I think I'm kind of rooting for them. Um, mm-hmm. What was interesting to me was what Keith revealed to Jules about the fact that he wanted to start a dealership before Dan did. I was going to talk about that, so yeah, that was a reveal, yeah. But Dan, he was able to use Deb's money, apparently, in order to to do it, and Keith didn't have the capital. So I guess, yeah, then he must have just later opened the garage. But that's interesting that it was Keith's dream before it was Dan's, and Dan somehow Mm. was able to achieve that. Yeah, Dan used Deb's money, because... He were, I mean, we, we know from previous episodes that he ended up working for Deb's dad. And then, essentially, it just blew up from there. But yeah, I never noticed I never noticed that before. Like, the fact that he did that reveal here. Yeah, I don't think I ever really paid attention to that detail before either, actually. It's funny how I've seen this show so many times, but there are still little scenes where like, oh, huh, I never really paid attention to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice that until my third watch, because I, I, I actually watched this episode three times before recording, and yeah, I didn't even notice it for my, until my third watch. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, about an hour before we started recording, that's why I noticed that. I was like, oh, shit. 
It's so small and so subtle that you don't even really think about it. And that's what I mean about this episode. Cher is so many little, like, tidbits like that. Even with the Mm -hmm. other characters, too. Like, on the surface, it might not seem like a big episode, but I think it's really revealing about a lot of these different relationships. And also the characters, like, what they're internally going through. Right. But yeah, um, Keith and Jules, I think I'm rooting for them. What about you? I'm rooting for them, too. It seems like she's on the same wavelength as Keith. Like, the fact that Keith opens a bottle of wine and Jules is like, oh, more of a beer girl. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, look at that. The two of them are on the same wavelength. Yep. So cute. Yeah, that is cute. <laughs> but yeah, she seems like a fun person. She's very flirty and fun. It's very, like, anti-drama, unlike his whole thing with Karen. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a nice change of pace. I'm interested to see where this will go. It is a nice change of pace. Agreed. But let's change our pace and talk a little bit about Whitey and his surgery. I find that Whitey's storyline, it's interesting because there's all these different pairings. But then, like, Whitey's mm-hmm. storyline is woven in there. <laughs> and these, yeah. these conversations with Lucas where Lucas is trying to convince him to get that surgery. Mm-hmm. But he refuses to do it because his wife, Camilla, died during surgery. And, you know, he tries to do this whole thing, this whole deflection thing, where he says, like, you know, I don't care about the team or anything. I lost everything I had a long time ago. And then that's when Lucas is like, you know, I have a photo of your 500th win, and that looks like a guy who cares. And then we see Whitey watch the meteor shower, and then he ends up going in to get the surgery himself. And Lucas gets the thank you note that you didn't realize was for Lucas. Yes. I didn't realize that was from Whitey. I didn't notice it was from Whitey. Like, what? And that's also another thing that I don't think I ever picked up on before when I was watching. I I don't know. That was like a new detail to me because I saw the thank you. I was like, wait a minute. Who's that from? And then they flipped to Whitey. I'm like, that's really cute that it was from Whitey. But I want to know, like, what, um... What actually spurred Whitey to get the surgery, though? Because the the last time he had that conversation with Lucas, like, that seemed to be ended in a pretty negative space. And then he decides to change his mind. Well, granted, he does watch the meteor shower. So maybe that's, like, you know, him getting the wisdom from the meteor shower. Yeah, there's your symbolism. Yeah, because he looked deep within the shadow of himself <laughs> and his world. <laughs> yeah. I referred back to the... <laughs> I referred back to Rachel Lang's quote for that. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got your symbolism. I guess, yeah, he just reflected on his career and maybe also what Camilla would have wanted. And I guess he thought about the team and everything that Lucas was saying. Maybe it just all kind of came together and he realized it was what he needed to do. Right, for sure. Because people were counting mm. on him. Exactly. But... I'm glad he did it, though. But I still say this. I'll say this. I'll say this again. I'll say this several times. Barry Corbin deserves more work. (laughs) This was a nice story, though. But yeah, it was just kind of... It was, but he's such a background character. Yeah. I mean, this storyline is definitely like a background storyline. Like, everything else is more of the center of... Because all the couples. And And then you have this whitey thing going on. But I guess it just fit in with, like, the reflection aspect of the whole episode. Like, everyone's reflecting. Mm -hmm. Everyone's making decisions, figuring themselves out, who they want to be, and yeah. For sure, yeah. 
All right. So we have our lovely Coda as usual. Yes. <laughs> Which is the song Mid-November by Jonathan Rice. Do you want to go through the list sure. of everything that happens in the Coda or shall I? Okay, you go. You go. So we first have Nathan who tells Lucas that he lied about not getting into high flyers. Peyton lights up the trick sign and then Rick walks in. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Mouth brings the dollhouse back to Brooke, which that's a super happy moment. Dan gets a call from High Flyers about how Nathan declined the offer. Karen and Lucas sit on the porch and they talk about how they met someone. Whitey goes to get surgery. Lucas opens the thank you note from Whitey. And then we fade to the meteor shower. We already basically covered everything in that coda, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I want to say this coda is kind of weird, though, because it just seems to like, it, I feel like normally with the codas, they, the codas just start off and you're like, okay, we're in Dakota. For this one, it seemed like it just faded into the coda. It was very subtle. And I don't feel like it's ever like that again on the show. Yeah, you're kind of right. It does, it does fade in. Yeah, like when I uh, when I wrote, wrote down like the recap of what happens in the code, I actually had to go back and be like, oh god, I forgot this part. Like this is actually where the song begins. Now, does it start when Nathan and Lucas they talk for a bit, and then it must start towards the end of when they're talking? Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. It's you know, I feel like normally it would start off at the very beginning of that conversation, and normally the scenes are much shorter too during Dakota. All right, favorite quotes, yes. Jeremy. Let's do it. Okay, here's the thing. We are not dating. We are not going out. We are nothing. I am not your wife, your shrink, your mommy. There's no romance, no crappy poetry, no PDA, and no spooning. This is purely physical. If we have sex, it's going to be safe sex. We're friends with benefits. And in fact, we don't even need to talk. (laughs) Who said that, Jeremy? (laughs) Said by Brooke Davis when she hooks up with Felix in the closet. Oh, that's a funny one. I just, I, I just love how much force she has. Like, she knows exactly what she wants, and she goes after it. I'm like, I'm very proud of her for that. Um, despite the whole, like we said, she's using it as a coping mechanism, which is not healthy. But I do like her owning her sexuality right there. So I probably should have chosen that one, too, because that's, that's a fun one, just of how, like, basically <laughs> she's assertive in that moment of, like, this is how it's going to be, uh-huh. and if it's not like this, then forget about it. <laughs> but what is your favorite quote? So I struggled with with choosing a favorite quote because I watched the episode and nothing like really stood out to me. And then I went back and rewatched scenes. And I just I had no idea. So mine's very simple. There's not much to say about it. But I just really like the moment when Peyton lit up the trick sign. And she said, welcome to trick. I just thought it was cute. It was cute and simple. And that moment made me happy. So I had to choose that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, her moment when she like has like this, she, she has absolute glee in her face. Welcome yep. to Trek. It's so It's cute. like an epiphany. Like, that's the perfect name, you know? For sure. I like yeah. it. What right. about? But what was uh, your favorite? <laughs> Do you want to go first with your favorite musical moment? Or shall I? I don't know. You go, Jeremy. What's your musical moment? <laughs> Glad by Tyler Hilton as Chris Keller. So. His audition song. I'm between two and that's one of them. <laughs> Okay, what's the other one? And I think I have to go with Glad by Tyler Hilton because it just, that song makes me so happy. So the other one's your honorable mention. What's your honorable mention, then? So my honorable mention is So Beautiful by Pete Murray. And this was like the montage of scenes. So it was before, right before the coda, 
but it was another montage, and everyone's watching the meteor shower. Oh, yeah. That was a good song, too. I agree. Yeah, I really like that song. So initially, I was like, that's got to be my song. But I'm like, no, So Glad by Tyler Hilton. So they're very close, but Mm -hmm. I, I just, the Tyler Hilton song makes me super happy. Yeah, he was like a breath of fresh air. Like, I feel like that's like the one musical moment that really sticks out. Because the fact that, like, you know, we also see uh, Peyton and Haley having pretty shitty auditions that are happening. Then Chris comes in and it's such a breath of fresh air and we love to say it, you know? I just love the acoustic versions of his songs. Like, he just playing the guitar. I don't know. I just love it. For sure. So what is your rating for the episode? So I give it four out of five meteor showers. I give it the same then. Four out of five romantic meteor showers. <laughs> or... Four out of five recesses. <laughs> nice. I think it was, it's a decent episode. And I, I felt like I learned things about the characters. It covered a lot. For like, sure, yeah. a lot was covered. There were so many different pairings. Yeah, overall, I, I really liked it. Yeah, I did so. I, I, I don't know, like, what's stopping me from giving it a five out of five, necessarily. Um... I feel like coming back from Dare Night, Dare Night was such a fun episode, which I refuse to give Dare Night a five out of five because it had Felix in it. <laughs> um, I feel like this, even though this episode does have Felix in it, I feel like this is actually a much more deserved four out of five because the episode is, you know, it, it's good. It's it's fun. We get a lot of insight, but yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not like, it doesn't wow, absolutely wow me, but it's it's a good, it's a strong episode. I think it's well-written. Exactly, yeah. I mean, obviously it didn't wow me back then either because I did not continue watching the show after this. <laughs> so you watched... No matter how hot Chadwick Murray was. So you you watched this one episode and then just didn't watch it for a while and then started from se- season one, episode one. Yep. When uh, my best friend at the time uh, let me season one and I watched it from the beginning and then binged all the way through season two. Or I binged through all, the, all through season one and two and then... I watched season three live, and the rest is history. So cool. And here we are. And here we are on a podcast. (laughs) Always and forever. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. Chris Keller, let's talk about all the reasons why we are going to be canceled for loving Chris Keller. I just love Chris (laughs) Keller. I love him. 
when he when it was announced that he was coming back for season nine, I remember just being so excited. I was excited, Sarah. Either, yeah. <laughs> either they announced it or they kept. I don't know if they announced it in advance. Actually, now that I think I, about it, I remember it being announced in advance. Okay. I do remember it being announced in advance. I don't think we knew which episode it was necessarily going to be. So yeah, I just remember being super excited when I found out, and then like his first episode back, it was just really, really, really fun. Mm-hmm. And he plays such a pivotal role in the show for Nathan Haley's relationship specifically, which, like, like I said. You know, a lot of Naley fans are probably gravitating to our podcast because of our title, Always and Forever. And the fact that we love Chris Keller <laughs> might get us canceled by that. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. The stuff that Chris Keller does will drive me nuts. But, like, it's kind of like you love to hate it type thing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I remember uh, around this time back then, no, like the fandom was so, so toxic toward Tyler Hilton. Really? Oh because, yeah, because not many people knew that he, you know, Tyler Hilton is a real person. Chris Keller is not a real person. And <laughs> so, Tyler Hilton is a lovely human being. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Very charismatic on mm-hmm. stage, like so wonderful. Uh, speaking of which, though, at some point in the show, he, he stops being an arrogant jackass and just becomes, like, an arrogant doofus. Like, how he talks in third person and mm-hmm. everything like that. Yeah. When does that transition happen? Because I feel like right here, like, I mean, you know, both Tyler Hill and the Riders, I don't think they really knew who Chris Keller was at the time. So, they make him into this very charismatic, like, attractive, you know, jackass in a way. But... When does he become a doofus? When does that transition happen? Like, when does he talk in the third person for the first time? I think that started in season three. Does it? The talking in third person. Okay. And remember, like, he also makes an appearance in season four, too, just for one episode, though. Mm -hmm. And he's a doofus there as well. And he he is there. I know that. And then, yeah, we don't see him again until season nine, and he's talking in third person like usual. (laughs) I think season three. I, mean, I don't remember that happening in season two because he's meant to be like that cares charismatic guy, like you said. Okay. We'll have to keep an eye out we for will. that the first time he talks in third person. It's so ingrained in my mind though that like when it happens, I'm not I'm probably not gonna notice yeah. it. <laughs> it's true. So fellow listeners, please let us know, like, you know, ahead of time. Feel free to spoil it for us. Be like, okay, the first time he does it is in episode blah, blah, blah. Because I do not want to miss it. I know. Yeah, we're really going to have to pay attention to that. Do we even get his name as Chris Keller? I don't think we did in this did episode. Did say his name? But we revealed that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's much of a spoiler. Did they say his name? Now I'm like... I don't think they said his name. Did they ever just call, did they just call him the record store yeah. guy? Or... Huh. I think so. I don't think he was ever acknowledged by his name. Oh my god, that's so funny! <laughs> I'm gonna have to re- I'm gonna have to rewatch every, like uh, every scene he's in now just to make sure. Like, did they say his name? But that's definitely. I feel like the next episode that has to be addressed because sometimes wow. when a character's introduced for the first time, like they're not their name actually isn't. Yeah, it's it, it's hard for us because like the show's so ingrained in our DNA. We're like, as soon as we see it, we're like Chris Keller, <laughs> but like. But, like, back then, we had no idea. No, not at all. <laughs> wow, that's wild. Okay, well, we just spoiled his name for the people listening to the spoiler-free segment. <laughs> I don't think a name is much of a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about cutting that out and be like, name redacted! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not go that far. 
<laughs> for sure, goodness. yeah. But yeah, like, uh, and, and I mentioned this in the spoiler-free uh, segment as well. Um, I remember watching this back then. I genuinely thought him and Peyton were going to be a couple. You thought that? See, I don't think I ever thought that. I did. But I didn't notice the tension. Yeah. I I mean, I was watching it in order, too. Um, but yeah, I thought, like, oh, yeah, they're totally going to be a couple. And I had no idea, like, something was going to happen between him and Haley. And they don't have a romantic relationship by any means. They just share a kiss and... I think it's very clear Haley wasn't attracted to him. She was attracted to music and what Chris represented, so. And we'll obviously go deep into that this season, but that whole storyline frustrates me to no end. Yeah. Of Chris splitting them up and Mm -hmm. this kiss that really in the end didn't mean anything and the fact that Haley feels like she has to leave Nathan to go off on this music career or... Oh, it's a very frustrating storyline in this season. Like, very. It's like, why is this happening? Right. Why does it have to happen this way? You don't want it to happen. Right. Like, these two characters just got together, and they're already being split apart. And it almost feels like it's too soon in their story, because they just got married and everything, to be split up like that. But, I mean, it's a big part of the show. This is, like, a defining moment, because it, you know, propels everything that happens in the next season, too. Like, it carries over. Right, absolutely. But I also kind of want to, like, look at this storyline through a different lens this time now. Because I feel like there's a lot of comparisons between how, uh, you know, Haley gave up Nathan for her music career. But then there was Nathan. Nathan did give up uh, high flyers for Haley. And you know what? This is bad because Haley should have also given up her career. But I'm like, think about the comparisons right here, though. Nathan gave up high flyers where he would be at a camp for three months and not make any money. Haley is going away on tour. She's making money. So, like, I don't really see the comparison as far as that's concerned, now that I'm an adult and I'm older and see that, you know? I was going to be like, why can't Haley go on tour? I mean, the whole fact that she kissed Chris, like, yeah, okay, there's... Maybe that's the bigger problem that needs to be talked about. I think that's, yeah, the bigger problem. And I hate how, like, Nathan pushed her so much into this music career like he was the one who initiated this and then he's not happy when she wants to follow through and leave and go on tour but i know the whole chris thing is Mm. an underlying conflict but yeah for sure but still it's like he can't fully understand that she wants to do that even though he pushed her to do it yeah it's frustrating that's what i mean that's another frustrating aspect of this the whole season two storyline yeah, I'm interested to like really think, really talking about that as we get into it. But maybe it really was all about Chris because I remember there are moments like in season three where uh, Haley's like, you know, Nathan, when I went, you know, about the tour, I'm not proud of it because I know you aren't proud of me. And then that's when Nathan's like, is that what you think? I was always proud of you. And then he pulls out all these newspaper clippings yeah. talking about how proud he was of like everything she accomplished. And then later on in season seven, I remember. I, I think it's season seven, and please correct me if I'm wrong, either you or the listeners, where, like, Haley gets an opportunity to go on tour, and Haley is nervous about doing it because of what happened in a relationship previously, and then that's when Nathan says, like, no, absolutely, go on tour. I That might be. It's in the later seasons, for sure. Yeah. So it just shows, like, how much the relationship has grown, and there's, like, yeah. trust going on yeah. right now, you know? I mean, they're just kids here, you know? So I understand, like, why there's a lot of insecurities and everything going on. But later on in the series, the relationship is much, much more secure. Oh, yeah. I love them. Oh, my gosh. Nearly forever. That's right. Always and forever. Yes. 
Uh, but yeah, this season's about to get wild, though, isn't it? You know, we're just gonna have to let the reins go loose. <laughs> which is the title of season two, episode seven, which we will discuss next time. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets, the description reads... Karen's club trick opens, and everybody who's anybody is there. Peyton runs the show, Brooke gets drunk, Lucas and Felix brawl, and a nervous Haley makes her performing debut and wows the crowd. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya.